to talk about one of my favorite things. That's music with one of my favorite people, Alan Cross, host of the Ongoing History of New Music and a Journal of Musical Things, uh, the blog. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on, Alan. I am here for you, Kelly, whenever you need me. You keeping well? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I work at home, so uh, I have all my, my stuff here. But, you know, when you work at home alone, you're always the smartest person in the room, and that's never good. <laughs> you know, Alan, you should be used to that. You're usually the smartest person no, in the room, no, whether no. you're at home or not, and we all know it. Let's talk, because I know you're also very humble, so let's get off that topic for a second. And let's talk about the the latest uh, in your um, offering on your blog. Musicians are releasing a letter demanding that political parties ask if they can use their music during campaigns. Yeah, good luck with that is the headline. Alan, so this is an open letter. Who has put their name on it and what exactly is in this letter? Uh, the, this is a Donald Trump situation where we have uh, an unpopular politician, at least unpopular amongst a certain cadre of musicians, who do not like him using their music during his campaign rallies. And they have published this open letter saying, hey, cut it out. We don't subscribe to your policies and we don't like being associated with you or your campaign. Uh, fine. Uh, there is a problem with that, and that's because we're dealing with a situation called blanket licensing. Now, most campaign rallies are held in public venues, and every public venue has something called a performing rights license, which means they pay a certain amount of money to the performing rights organizations in the United States. It would be ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Uh, for the right to play pre-recorded, copyrighted music in the the venue, so it, you don't have to go out and and seek permission to play every single song that you may want to you know feature in that venue. So you just have this blanket license that allows you to play anything. The fees are paid back to the performing rights organization, and and that's that. Uh, so there is nothing that stops any politician from using anybody's music when they're performing or holding an event in a public place. But this isn't the first time we've heard artists upset about this. So you think the rules would have been changed by now because it's been going on for a while, no? It has been going on for a while. It's coming to a head with Donald Trump for a variety of obvious reasons. And uh, a number of artists like Neil Young, like R.E.M., like Radiohead, like uh, Tom Petty's estate, they have all said, you know, cut it out. We, we don't appreciate this. Uh, however, like I said, with the blanket licensing, they really don't have much of a leg to stand on. However, there is something that's being discussed, and that is, in the United States, uh, a special license you would need if you were part of a political organization. They do something like this in Australia, where this law, this, this, this clause, is put in place to avoid having any popular song become a political anthem unless the artist specifically says yeah i'm okay with that so that's what they want to be able to do in the united states and there is there is this thing uh with one of the performing rights organizations that says you have to have a a political organization license but i don't know of it ever being enforced anywhere although maybe now it will be We'll, we'll see i mean we've got less than 100 days until the election there's going to be some sort of rallies so we'll see how people uh, how people react to this. It would be nice to see the blanket licensing law change because it's been in effect since the 40s. And, you know, there are artists that campaign for certain political candidates, correct? 
Yes, there are. And, you know, they wouldn't mind lending their music to those causes. Uh, however, the blanket license is really important because it means that anybody can perform anybody's song without having to go through the issue of, of uh, asking for permission. For example, we could pick any song we want. You and me could pick any song and decide to do a duet. And we do not have, and we could record that and release that. And we do not have to get the permission of the original composer. That's the purpose of the blanket license. Uh, and this was, like I say, created back in the 1940s because there was so much confusion about who could do what. Uh, and pretty much it's every territory in the world every, has its own performing rights organizations. Uh, every territory in the world has the, the blanket license thing. Well, speaking of confusion and you and I with the duet, the problem would be, Alan, is we would both want to do the men's part because I have a very low voice and a low singing voice. So there's the confusion right there. Well, think about the close harmonies. It would be pretty good. <laughs> I like the way you you approach things, Alan. Let's talk about, and I don't know if I'm springing this on you here or not, but there's a new album out that's getting uh, quite a bit of attention. It's Taylor Swift's album. It's called Folklore. What can you tell us about this new album? Because apparently it is, uh, it's her, what, is it the seventh album? Or am I so far behind in my Taylor Swift album anthologies well, it, here? It's, it's, it's sort of her, some people called it her alt-rock record. Um, mm -hmm. she, it's the first Taylor Swift record to come with a full advisory sticker or warning because uh, she drops a bunch of uh, naughty words throughout the record. Uh, she no. recorded a bunch of it with uh, Bon Iver and with a uh, guy from The National. Uh, and the cover is the, the interesting thing. If, if you haven't seen it, it's a black and white shot of a, of a pretty bleak floor, forest. And I guess that's that's Tay-Tay that you see there. Um, there is a Tay Tay is Taylor Swift for those that are not familiar with the nickname. There, there's a black metal musician in Norway who has uh, an EP that has a, a cover artwork eerily similar to to what Taylor Swift has, and uh, he say, "Hey, you, you stole my idea." Um, I mean, it's, it's close in execution, but it's not a copy. So there's really, there's no lawsuit to be held there. Uh, I, there is another issue. I guess there's some merchandise that she was releasing under folklore, but there's already a folklore company that does merchandise. So she's had to change the name of, of her online thing, uh, to yeah. the folklore. There was a cardigan that apparently she'd been sending out to influencers and celebrities and, uh, it's so weird. I mean, merch is so important when you talk about the uh, music now and the brand and especially oh, now, yeah, I guess, because yeah. touring's kiboshed. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here's the, here's the thing. I mean, with, with somebody, an artist as big as Taylor Swift, she is the biggest artist on the planet right now. Uh, she, you know, whatever she says goes within the music industry. It's just the way it is she is going to be the target for a whole bunch of other things. She actually recently just had to just defeated another plagiarism lawsuit for the song, shake it off for the fourth time. Wow. She's a, she's a big target, a very, very big target. And, uh, the only thing, you know, I'm not a fan, but I do understand that this record is, is quite good. A lot of five-star reviews. Now what's, hmm. you know, a little, a little annoying is that a lot of Taylor Swift fans are sending out death threats to music critics who won't give it a 10 out of 10. Wow, can they, are they I'm guessing they're going to do, they're doing that online. Uh, yeah. Is there any way to follow up on that? Because that should be just illegal. 
Well, it is. I mean, you can't threaten death to anybody. Right. But the, there was a woman at Pitchfork that gave it an 8 out of 10. And then there was a, a New York Times uh, reviewer that, that gave it a, you know, still a very good review, but not a 10 out of 10. So people are, are saying, you know where you live. And you know what? I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to be there. I'm just going to show up. So, oh, great. Fine. So now being a uh, anybody being, being critical of Taylor Swift uh, uh, takes their uh, life in their hands, apparently. From teenage girls somewhere in their parents' uh, basement. I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't know if it's all just teenage girls either. Really? Oh, yeah. A couple of teenage boys thrown into the mix. Let me ask you this, because uh, I, I want to rewind for a second, because I was curious about this, Alan, when you brought it up. I, I figure I know quite a bit about music, but I've never heard of um, black metal. Is that similar to speed metal? And is that just the Norwegian term for speed metal? It's, it's a Scandinavian thing. It is. It is very dark, very satanic, and... Some oh. adherents tend to burn down churches. Oh, okay. So that's probably why it's not on my radar. All right. Alan Cross, always a pleasure um, trying to make sense of things going on within the musical community with you. And just nice talking to you again. Stay well. You bet. We'll talk soon.